Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. It's time to reimagine therapy and what it means to be a therapist. We are human beings who can now present ourselves as whole people with authenticity, purpose, and connection, especially now when therapists must develop a personal brand to market their practices. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy, and today we're joined by Melissa Hall. She's a psychologist and owner and founder of QA Prep. She's also the co-host of My Biz Besties, and today she's going to tell us all about our most favorite thing about being therapists. The most favorite thing in the world! Documentation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> welcome. Everyone's super excited, huh? Welcome, oh, Melissa. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. We did that kind of a, an intro all the time, like, and now we're going to talk about something that you love, paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> you but went to school to help people, and now you're going to spend three quarters of your time writing it down. <laughs> <laughs> but a, a lot of people struggle with paperwork and are overwhelmed by it. They kind of hate it. They feel like it's something, but this is something that you love. Like, how did you get there? How do you? How did you get to a place where you liked quality assurance and paperwork? I have never gotten to a point where I have absolutely loved paperwork necessarily. That's a great sell for your business, like right from the very beginning. Um, (laughs) Well, and I think a lot of people assume that I started doing this. I started helping people with their documentation because, oh, I must, you know, and I was pretty good at documentation and writing things down. But a lot of that came from hard work and figuring things out and trying to be excellent in all things that I was doing as a therapist. So with my notes, I was doing the same thing. I was trying to figure out what you're supposed to put in them and trying to get feedback from people. And most of us, when I was starting out, weren't getting that. We had very, very little training in documentation in general. And so I figured it out and was able to figure out how to make it work for me. And then I learned very early on how helpful that was. And how much it benefited me that I was able to provide good documentation that I was on top of it. And I started out after graduate school. So after internships and stuff like that, I started out in a job where I was doing a lot of assessment. So I had a role where I would spend you know, hours with people talking to them about their psychosocial history and mm-hmm. then had to do like a nine page write up about it. And that's impossible to do on multiple people a week if you're not on top of your paperwork. Otherwise, you're going to drown within a week or two. So I had to figure it out really, really quickly. Then I learned it all went together. So if I messed that up, then someone who was going to see that person as a therapist and treat that client later 
was going to struggle with how to create a treatment plan. They were going to struggle to understand what was really going on. So I did learn how important the documentation was too. And I think those things encouraged me to look into it and figure it out. And it became pretty easy for me. But what I really found that I loved was training. So that's what I enjoy. And I started working in quality improvement because I did figure out the paperwork part. But what I learned from that job was that training was a really, really good fit for me, that I was able to take something that is typically a boring topic. And because what I'm going to do naturally with anything that I'm going to be training or talking about is try to make it interesting. So I did that and that resonated with people and people found my trainings really helpful and I enjoyed helping them. So it's still that quote unquote helping others, right? Yeah. But it's just in a different way. I, I found that I was able to make something that is when most people do talk about, they are a little boring, right? <laughs> or mm-hmm. or they focus a lot on the scare tactics. So that was not my focus. I was more interested in how people could find meaning in the paperwork and actually make it interesting, right? So, so. by interesting, you mean like switching pen colors or uh, <laughs> using little hearts over the eyes rather than dots and that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> of course. Yes, yes. Because that's exactly what I was looking for. I'm like, color code everything. No. Interesting as far as like, what is it? about your work that you enjoy doing. You have things about your work you enjoy doing, and then you have paperwork that's completely separate from that. Well, then of course you're going to hate paperwork mm-hmm. because it's going to be this other thing that's going to be hanging over your head. It's going to be boring. And then it's not going to have any meaning to it either. Mm-hmm. And I could definitely see a correlation among therapists who were focusing on their documentation, making it a priority, and the clinical work they were doing, everything flowed so easily. It flowed so well as far as the work they were doing with their clients and how I could read a file because that's part of what I did, right? I went in at this job, I did training, and then I also went in like read other people's notes and files uh, and assessments. The dreaded chart reviews. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But people who were often like burnt out or floundering and didn't quite know what they were doing with their clients, that also reflected in their paperwork. And a lot of times the paperwork was just another thing on top of whatever they were doing that was stressing them out. Yeah. I mean, these days it's harder to get behind on paperwork, but I also, when I was in community mental health and we were in very similar agencies, I would find people who would get like three and four months behind on paperwork and then try to do it all in one night and do copy and paste. And it just, it clearly isn't meaningful. It clearly doesn't reflect the work. It's really unethical and all of that stuff. And so how do you make paperwork meaningful? Because to me, even now, I, I kind of try to make my paperwork as easy as possible, but I haven't really thought about making it meaningful to the work. How do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think those two things actually do go together. So I will find, I'll see in Facebook groups where someone will say, for example, like, how do you write this? You know, I, I, the client did this and it seems kind of maybe too subjective or too mean to describe it this way, but how would you say it? There will be dozens of posts of people trying to overcomplicate what happened in this session and trying to sound really smart and use big words. (laughs) And like, of course you're going to hate paperwork if that's what you're trying to do every time. So I think that making things simple does go with making it meaningful. Make it understandable for you and for an average person. You don't have to write your notes to sound like they are a grad school paper. 
So this is the psychoanalytically oriented professor that I had in grad school who was like, just document every session as talked about mother. <laughs> that that level of simplicity, is that what we're talking about here? No, no. I would say, and obviously this is the thing with any quality assurance stuff, it's going to, my answer is always going to be, it depends, right? So there's no black and white rule. But in general, you just want to describe what happened in the session and you don't have to describe every detail, but you do want to describe the general themes. So you also want to use some kind of a template. Most people need a template to kind of check off that they're including things that should be included. And it also makes it easier so that you're not sitting there at the computer like, uh, what am I going to write today? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to have like a guide. Yeah. Um, so there are a ton of different templates. I have a free crash course where I present like five different templates people can use. Nice. So We'll include a link to the course in our show notes. Cool. Thanks. And I think that's important. It's finding something that works for you. Like for example, soap notes. I don't like them. I, just, <laughs> I don't use them either. <laughs> I can't figure it out. It doesn't work for me. I still struggle with like subjective and objective and like, is that different from what I put in the assessment? And to me, it just doesn't flow. It doesn't work mm. for me. But some people love them and they've been using them. And if you're using them and it, it works, then hey, keep doing it. But I, I feel like that's where people get things overcomplicated. And then so let's say DAP is a template that a lot of people like to use. And um, that stands for data assessment and plan. So that's a fairly simple thing that a lot of people who don't like soap notes (laughs) then adopt. (laughs) So for DAP, you could just have a couple of sentences in each Mm -hmm. section. And most of the time you have covered everything that you need to talk about. Don't need to, you know, write every single sentence or everything that was said or every possible scenario that the client reviewed when you were in the session. Yeah, I ha- I use GURP, goal, mm-hmm. slash progress, uh, intervention, response, and plan. But I also have created a little bit of an electronic template for myself. And so I don't want to put myself on the line too much. So I'm going to just give you a couple of things, but want to kind of get some feedback on what you should do with those things. But I found that there was a lot of phrases that I used consistently. You know, I facilitated a conversation, explore triggers, you know, help client develop coping strategies. And so I in putting together my personal template in my electronic health record, I have things where I can check those things off and have little tiny text boxes to add more of the specifics. I guess the first one is, is that okay? And then the second (laughs) one is kind of what do we have to have in our notes? Like, you know, we want to make sure that we're doing it. We want it to be meaningful so that we can kind of follow the treatment and make sure that we're making good progress. The clinical aspects... Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. 
Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. But legal and ethically, what do we have to have in our notes? Legally, you have to have information about the fact that they came to see you. So you do have to write notes. Mm -hmm. I've actually had people ask me that question. So if you're someone (laughs) who is wondering that, yes, you do have to write notes for every session. And ethically, there isn't a lot of guidance. Uh, There really isn't. And and that's a good thing in a lot of ways because so many of us work in such different environments. Someone who is doing psychoanalytic therapy is doing something very different from a psychologist who's working in a prison. So it's good that we don't have a lot of guidance, but (laughs) it makes it complicated. So as far as what you want to include, you want to include enough information that another professional could read the note and understand what happened in session and then potentially pick up treatment with that client. Now, obviously, not just one note is, you know, going to be sufficient for that, but then you have this collection of notes and someone else could look at that and say, oh, okay, I understand where you've been going, what's been going on, what this person's main concern is. And obviously, your treatment's going to be different. So it doesn't mean you're going to do the exact same thing, but someone could very easily capture what happened. So I like to call the, the client's file the story of their journey with you. If you think of a file more like a story, because it does have a beginning, middle, and an end, the beginning, you're going to have your assessment paperwork, your intake paperwork. You're going to say, you know, why this person came to see you, how you met, right? You think of those kind of story components. And then the middle is going to be mostly your notes and it's going to be what happened throughout the sessions and they should all connect. So that's another big thing. A lot of people who have never gone back and read their own notes or have never like worked at an agency where you did a chart review or something like that. As soon as you do that, you find very quickly whether or not your notes connect and do make a clear story, a, a coherent story. If you're not doing that, I definitely recommend if if you take away one thing from this podcast, that's something you should do is go back and read through your notes and and see. And most people will find that you're doing a pretty good job. So it doesn't have to be a scary thing, you know. <laughs> But it can be such a helpful task. And when you do that, that is what will help you connect meaning to those. Because I don't know, I'm sure that both of you, and I have too, have had things happen where you get a a request for records or you find out a client is in the middle of a court case or you have to make a child abuse report or something happens where all of a sudden you think, oh crap, my documentation is really important. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you think like, oh, what did I write? Or oh, what's dear. in there? And you <laughs> want to make sure it's all good. So you don't want that to be the moment that you then go through and look at your notes. You want to be doing that before those things happen. And I found it's actually a really, really great exercise to do when you are struggling with what to do with a client. So if you're feeling kind of stuck with somebody or if if someone is feeling really down and, and they are in a place where maybe they're considering discontinuing therapy because they feel like it's not being helpful, those are great times to go back and look through your notes and you can highlight what has happened. A lot of times you'll pick up on things that maybe you didn't pick up on earlier because you just didn't have as much information about your client. And you might go through and look at your intake and and something pops out at you and and now there's a connection that you weren't able to make when you didn't know as much about them. So 
I think it can be such a helpful thing, but that's also a great way to connect some meaning to it. Going back to the stuff that goes in the client file you talk at the beginning of the story, and you've talked in your ebook about simplifying informed consent paperwork. Shouldn't I have like eight pages of every conceivable thing that might happen in therapy that kind of lays out my practice guidelines from the very beginning? Maybe. It depends. It's hard to say. Like, it depends, right? It's hard to say what should be in your paperwork packet. My paperwork packet that I sell this services agreement or consent for services or, you know, whatever you want to call it, the thing that you have people sign is six or seven pages long. So it is longer. Part of the reason it's longer, though, is that what I do is at the front, I have like a little summary. And so it's not just this long document with all these drawn out paragraphs. At the front, I have like a brief thing like cancellation policy, limits to confidentiality, and it's super brief. And then it says, if you want more details on these things, go look at this document more in depth. But that way people can, because most of us do this whenever we sign documents, we kind of browse a little bit at the beginning and then we skip through. So that way you know that those things are on the front and people can pay attention to them. And it also gives you a guide when you're reviewing things with people. So you can kind of quickly go through things and, and some things just aren't as important for certain clients. Mm -hmm. as they are for others. Right. And the example that I bring up when I'm talking with people about my informed consent is a super important thing that's come up a number of times in my career because I work with kids and adolescents is that I was very fortunate that someone gave me the advice early in my career to put in, don't talk about making custody recommendations. And I've been able to point (laughs) back to that over and over again. And I think for people who work with adults, that they're not going to find as much utility out of something that's agreed at the very beginning of treatment. Yeah, exactly. And like I had a lot of clients who were on disability because of depression or something like that. And so they were out of work. And one of them told me, I think maybe our second or third session, that she had an open workman's comp case. And someone else told me, pretty early on that she was uh, suing her previous employer for you know wrongful termination. So you'll get things like that. And those were things that had not come up in my first session with those people. So then as soon as I have that information, then I have that conversation. So I think that's another thing to consider is that informed consent is not something you just do at the first session and then you're done. And when we view it that way, that puts a lot of pressure on us to think, oh my gosh, we have to review everything right now. And that's not the case. You know, things come up later. And so as soon as they told me that, I said, hey, you know, let's talk about the fact that your lawyer is probably going to ask you about this if you haven't already told them that you're in therapy. Here's what they will do a lot of the times. They'll want all of your records requested. Here's what I would recommend. And so we had a discussion about it as it came up and when it was important. Same thing, I think another great example is stuff like texting and email. Mm-hmm. And Roy Huggins talks about this, about how you want to have a policy about that. But then a lot of times people will say, oh, no, that's not a big deal. I'm not, you know, I don't need to use that. And then two months in, they're running late and they send you a text that they're running late, right? So now they have texted you, even though they mm-hmm. said that they weren't going to and it wasn't a big deal. And so then you just have that conversation with them. Hey, remember how you said you didn't want to text? That's 
you know, you texted me, you were running late. That's totally fine. That's within my policy. Just want to make sure we review it, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's great that you talk about informed consent as kind of this dynamic process where you talk about things when they come up. And so to clarify the document itself, I really like the idea of the summary up front so that the the stuff that most clients are going to really need to dig into, like you have at least a little bit up front, you have everything or, you know, everything that you think of, the things that are common enough that, that they're the kind of the everything that everybody has in the larger document. And then as things come up, that's when you really dig back in and you talk with them about those things versus having to review the whole document <laughs> right up front. Cause, cause that's overwhelming and they're not going to remember they're coming in, you know, in pain, you know, trying to go over every possible thing in the first session is ridiculous anyway, but having it there is good so that there's a, a way to refer back to it. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you'll have to do that even with things like your cancellation policy. You should absolutely make sure everyone after the first session, unless, you know, there's some crisis going on, knows what your cancellation policy is. And most people aren't going to remember that two months later when they are more likely to cancel. So those are things you'll probably have to bring up at the first session and bring up later. And it is what it is, and that's fine. So, you know, don't worry about it too much. It's just something you bring up again. Here's a reminder. Here's my policy. Let's review it. And anything that's related to that. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. So when you are in these Facebook groups or you're talking with people, you're teaching in these courses, what's it like being such a buzzkill about what needs to go in people's notes? (laughs) (laughs) You're so mean, Kurt. Well, the funny thing is I am usually a, a source of relief for people. So I agree. (laughs) <laughs> I've never I've never actually had anyone describe that. So most people are really, really excited to hear me and love hearing about this topic because nobody else is talking about it, right? And and it's one of those things that a big reason that I believe it's so scary and frustrating for therapists is because we don't really talk about it and there's no help around it. I mean, I went to grad school for four years and had like 30 minutes of one class where we talked about notes. And yeah. that was it. Yeah. Well, I was surprised because like you, I was in public mental health. There was eons that were spent on documentation. I was a supervisor and you know did a lot of chart reviews. So I knew a lot about paperwork. And I didn't realize that it wasn't something, like it just didn't click, that it wasn't something that people had. And I had some some consulting clients start asking about notes. And I was like, oh yeah, like... If I would have just had grad school, it would have been like soap notes. And like you, I don't like soap notes. And I would have just been stuck with like, okay, I'm going to write a couple of sentences and hope for the best. But, you know, like talking about the clinical loop and making sure that you're establishing medical necessity and all of these pieces are stuff that public mental health hacks are like, yeah, totally easy. And for people who weren't there that didn't get that kind of instruction, and especially if they went into private practice, their private practice supervisor has always been in private practice. It's kind of the wild west. And so I've had a lot of people I've referred your direction because they're just, nobody is 
really, you know, talking about how do you do quality documentation in a private practice? Because I think those of us that are in public mental health, I basically recreated that. <laughs> and it's too much. Like, it's, it's not good. So it's like, okay, I probably should go take Melissa's course. Even though I know about documentation, I probably should figure out how to make it easier for myself. Because right now I'm just doing DMH documentation. <laughs> well, and that's, that's the other thing, right? I find that people are on either end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So it's like people who want to do as little as possible and barely write anything. And then it's people who maybe went to an agency or agencies themselves where it's overkill. You know, yeah. it's way more documentation. And a lot of us who started out in an agency, a supervisor told us, oh, well, this is what we have to do because for, for us, we're all in the LA County area. You know, this is Medi-Cal, mm-hmm. um, which to everyone in the rest of the U.S. is Medicaid, typically. So, well, Medi-Cal is telling us we have to do this. This is why we have to do this. And that was what we heard. And I was like, well, Medi-Cal is crazy because they're (laughs) making us do like pages and pages and pages of paperwork and making us write the same thing five times. That drives me nuts, right? (laughs) But then I learned actually a lot of times that's not the case. And it's one of those things where things get more and more complicated because someone did a review and a lot of agencies make up their own rules and then tell their staff that it's what Medi-Cal wants, but it's not. It's what the agency wants. Mm -hmm. And it's all because people don't understand what is needed. And then it's never explained to most of of us who are actually doing the paperwork, right? Decisions made by quote-unquote higher-ups and they don't explain why certain things are the way they are. And that, again, is divorcing the paperwork from what you're actually doing. And it feels like it's this meaningless thing that you just have to do as part of your job. When it comes to things like the the treatment plans that we create for clients, how often do you recommend that therapists update them? How do we refer back to them in our notes, kind of moving to that step after the informed consent of the justifying what we're doing and why we're doing and that we aren't just reacting each session, but this is all part of a bigger plan. Yeah. Yeah. The big thing is to look at your clients and what type of work you're doing. So if you do more long-term work, then make goals that are going to be required to look at longer. So you could say, we'll revisit this six months from now. If you are working in an environment where you want to check up on things a little bit more frequently, then you could say, we'll look at this four weeks from now, eight weeks from now, et cetera. So it might be different for different clients you have. You might have totally different treatment plans and times for checking with different clients, or you might tend to do the same thing and just have a regular, like every three months I check in with everybody. Or a lot of times I'll tell people the beginning of the year is a great time to do that. Just kind of check in on all of your treatment plans, check in with your clients, make sure you're all on the same page. Another thing to consider though is that you'll want to review your treatment plans anytime something different happens. So I find that most people think that treatment plans are really complicated when they start writing their notes and then the goals and and problems or whatever it is that you use for your treatment plan isn't making sense with what you did that session, right? Mm. And so that might happen once or twice, but then when it's happening often and you start to think, gosh, this treatment plan doesn't really make any sense. And, And what I find most therapists think is, oh, this treatment plan is so pointless. It doesn't even, you know, match with what we're doing. So whenever you have that thought, that should be a red flag that, oh, you don't, have to follow this random treatment plan you created. <laughs> right? You can create a new one. <laughs> yeah. So then it's just a sign that you need to go and, and look at it and what is happening with it. Maybe you need to talk with your client and maybe maybe something came up and you 
dug into a lot deeper stuff than your client initially presented and you you need to adjust it. And you talk with your client and say, hey, this is what we talked about originally, but I noticed the last few weeks we've been talking about these other things and these things seem really important to you. What would you like to do? Or do you think we should maybe put these other things on the back burner and focus on this instead? For example, I had a client who came to me with a work issue and then her father passed away like four weeks in. So obviously we adjusted things we were doing a little bit, right? And those are times where your treatment plan should be working for you, not the other way around. Well, I think the thing I love about this is that it really ties into being very deliberate in how you operate. I think some people will use the documentation as a check the box. I'm going to make sure I have it because if somebody comes check or because I've got a legal or ethical requirement to do so, I just want to have it there. But you're really talking about being thoughtful with the treatment, making sure the treatment plan reflects what you're doing, that you're looking through, checking the notes, making sure that you're telling a story, identifying if there's past information that needs to be revisited. And, and that's something that if you don't you set time aside for it, then you're, you're just going to go into sessions kind of blind. You know, even though you, you, know, you may hold some of that stuff in your head, like the fact that you're documenting as you go along, that you've been thoughtful in your assessment and your treatment plan means that you're going to have a much higher quality work. And I don't know that people look at it that way. I think that that's something that therapists can often get wrong is that they, the documentation is, is a requirement, not actually a real boon and a real critical piece to doing good good clinical work. What are some of the other things that you find that therapists often get wrong? Yeah, I think one of the things that you mentioned was most therapists overestimate their ability to remember what happened. So I don't know how many therapists have told me, oh, well, I, you know, I have, I have a couple, I jot a couple of notes down to myself, but, you know, I remember everything that happens with my clients. Oh, I, I hear would that. never claim that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I don't, which I honestly think is part of the reason that I didn't, I didn't say this in the beginning, but I think that's part of the reason I made documentation so important. I have a horrible, horrible memory. So I will remember being with people and I will remember a lot of things that happen, but I know if I don't write things down right away, I, I could easily forget to write down something very important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I might remember it later and I might not. Most therapists who tell me that their memory is so amazing and that they remember everything that happens with their clients when they get behind in their notes find that they were not quite as good at that as they thought. Ah. And a lot of people also, you go back and read your notes and you realize, oh, like I was saying, to go back and look at that story and look at what you've written and and what happened, why your client said they were coming to see you originally. And most people will find things that they forgot about or didn't notice. And that's okay. I feel like a lot of people say that because that's a good sign of a good therapist. Like we have to remember everything that happens with our clients or something, but we don't. And if you've seen as many clients as you see in an agency setting, then that's impossible. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Or at least very difficult. For sure. So our guest today is Melissa Hall. She is the owner and creator of QAPrep.com the co-host of the My Biz Besties podcast. And thank you for joining us today. This has been really informative. And just as you said, this is kind of a a great relief of knowing that note-taking documentation isn't as scary as it's made out to be. And everyone else is scared of it too. (laughs) (laughs) So check out all of the resources. We'll post them in the show notes today. Links to Melissa's different courses, her ebook, 
and check out our website at mtsgpodcast.com. While you're there, check out our live events that are coming up here in 2018. I'm really excited about the Therapy Reimagined Conference that's happening in October. Two days about everything that's going on with us as therapists, what we see going forward as the profession, 14 CEUs, and Melissa's going to be there. So we are very excited about that. Come and join us. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy and Melissa Hall. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months.